Welcome to Grain IQ. I'm your host, Chad Moyer. Grain marketing is a critical piece in keeping your operation profitable, and an important piece of that puzzle is understanding basis. Jeff Peterson is the president of Heartland Farm Partners. He is also an assistant professor of practice in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. He joins us for today's conversation. Jeff, thanks for joining us. First, just so we can establish a foundation for this conversation, what is basis? Basis is just that difference where we take the cash price minus the futures price. And the thing that we have to think about is that the basis level can be positive or negative. So another way to kind of think about this is that when we come over to that cash price, what it is, it's we always take the futures price and then we add the basis to it. A lot of times one common misconception is, oh, we're taking the futures price and subtracting basis. But that isn't the case. We have to always make sure we add it. And the reason that is is because we could have a positive basis where actually everybody's getting paid something higher than what the futures price is, or we can have a negative basis where actually individuals are getting paid less than what the futures price is. Okay, so let's uh, expand on that a little bit more, and we're going to do a little bit of math, so hold on just a second. So uh, tell me in what ways does a negative basis happen? Yeah, so on a negative basis, so let's just say we have $5 futures, and then we ended up having, let's say, a 10 under basis level. So if we took the $5 futures plus the negative 10 basis, we'd end up getting a cash price of $4.90. Okay, and then you said the opposite of that is if we have a a positive basis, what does that mean when it comes to doing the math? Yeah, exactly. So let's go back to our same example. Let's take that $5 futures. Instead of having a 10 under basis, let's take a 10 over basis. So we take $5 futures plus that 10 cent basis, so we'd have 510 cash in that example. All right. And we started off this program by saying that basis is a very important part of our marketing plan. Why is basis so important, Jeff? Yeah, exactly. So the basis, you know, it it becomes the way in which we can physically look across different markets and we can physically compare, should I go down the road to that local ethanol plant or should I take my corn to the local elevator? We're able to know that, hey, the the constant within all this is a futures price, but what I'm going to get paid, depending on where I go, is going to be that basis. So that allows us to be able to compare where we're going to different locations. So by what you're saying, you know, we know the futures market and, you know, that's based in Chicago and we know who's a part of that. So does that mean that basis is almost almost like a separate decision away from futures? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, a lot of people don't make it that way. A lot of people just focus on the cash price and think of it as ultimately that's all there is. But that would be just like on the agronomy side, Chad, saying, I'm just focusing on getting a great yield. Well, we don't think about getting just a great yield in the field. We break it down into individual decisions. So as we come over to the marketing side, what we look at is we say, well, I want to get a very good cash price, but we really got to break it down. And if we're going to manage and do an effective job of marketing, we want to manage each component separately. We want to manage that futures price. We want to manage that basis. We want to do those separate. So hopefully at the end of this segment, we'll not only understand, you know, why basis is so important, but how we can manage the basis. So let's take it from there, Jeff. Um, Who is responsible for setting the basis in a local market? 
Yeah, and, and that's always really interesting. I think basis sometimes is misunderstood. We we hear a lot of times farmers and, and others in, in the industry or outside the industry think, oh, whatever the basis is, is what the grain buyer is automatically making in comparison. So if you see a negative basis and, and the futures price is there, they, they ought to, that's their margin. But but it's a little more complicated than that. So let's let's think about who's actually making those decisions. So each individual buyer of grain, they've got somebody there, and generally we call them a grain merchandiser, who's responsible for actually looking out there and saying, all right, once I get these bushels bought on any given day, where could I physically go sell those bushels to? So ultimately that merchandiser is the ones that's ultimately responsible for coming up with that basis level that they're willing to use to create the cash price. Is there this uh, this person, this job title of a grain merchandiser in an end-user situation, like at an ethanol plant or a soybean crusher or something like that? Yeah, you can have the equivalent of that. And usually you'll have grain buyer and you'll have someone at those locations. Because what you brought up is a very important point, Chad, is that depending on where you're at depends on ultimately what the final use for that grain is. So let's take a couple examples. So in the example of a grain elevator, you're hauling the bushels in. Those bushels are really just sitting there for a period of time, so they ultimately go on to their end user. But if you're ultimately an end user, an end user would be defined as somebody where the bushels come to them, and they really change the form. They ultimately convert it. So a couple example would be on corn. It could be an ethanol plant where they take that corn and they turn it into distillers and they turn it into ethanol. So what those buyers at those locations is, an end user, they're looking at and saying, okay, if I buy this corn and I physically process it, what can I afford to pay for it to still be able to make money? Now, the other side of that gets to be, we'd all love to make the margins that we'd like to, but in each of those situations, they do have to still be competitive. So they may be in situations as an end user or as an elevator, if they believe they got to get the bushels because they want to maintain market share with their customers as an elevator, or they want to keep the ethanol plant or soybean processing plant going, then ultimately there's times they may actually have to set a bid at a certain level that actually they lose money. The influences on basis could be multiple pronged, especially if you're in a market like, uh, I'm just thinking, uh, Fremont, Council Bluffs, Lexington, where you have pass-through uh, grain buying or you have end user buying, there could be a lot of influences on this basis, right? Oh, there sure could be. And it, and it even goes beyond that. So I'll give you a little bit a longer view on it. So just think of it this way. Um, you could be sitting there on a rail line and actually your market and what determines your basis is based on what a a hog feeder in China wants to pay mm -hmm. for that grain. So what yeah. they're going to do is they're going to look at delivered into the country within China, they're going to look at what can they afford to pay for those bushels to process it. You've then got the freight all the way out to the coast. Then you've got ocean freight to come clear across the world. And let's say they come into the Gulf of Mexico. At that point, the Gulf of Mexico, there's a certain basis that they're willing to pay that works for them. But then from there, you go either if you're in the eastern part of the state, you go by barge up into the eastern part of the Corn Belt, I should say, or if you're in the western part of the Corn Belt, you're physically going to come by rail. And then ultimately you get back to your elevator. So that whole process comes into play to determine what you could pay. Now, you still got to be competitive to be able to go ahead and get the bushels bought. 
Yeah, boy, there are just so many things that are a part of this, and it, and it might seem confusing, but I think as far as the purpose of this is, let's understand what it is, and, and then it, how it does tie back to what we do on the farm every day. Yeah, exactly, because the thing we talk about, and to just interject a second on the futures price, the, the goal of that futures price, big picture, is determine what is the fair value grain all across the world. But when we come back to basis, what we're saying is that's really more of a local thing. It's saying, all right, based on what we've got for bids of different markets we can go to or what we can turn this into, whether it's turning it into ethanol, soybean meal, soybean oil, feeding it to livestock or hogs, but we also have to look at locally the other impact is what was the production like in our area? Did we have a big crop? Did we have a small crop? And ultimately, is there anything else that came along that changed the demand in our area? Maybe a rail line or maybe a barge line made some different changes in what their freight rates were. So all those factors come into play. And that gives the local buyer their ability to physically, they'll raise their basis to a stronger basis, meaning less negative or more positive if they need to get grain flow coming to them. But they'll also then, in the, in the other side of that, they'll make it so that we'll see them go basically less positive or more negative if for some reason they're getting too much grain coming to them and they need to slow down that flow. Jeff, that gives us a nice transition to our next topic. What influences basis? What causes it to change? What makes basis move, Jeff? What basis side, it, if you look across it, the, it, the biggest picture, it becomes ultimately what's the world economy doing? And, and are we having a stronger demand for meat across the world for protein? So that, that comes into play on that demand side out there and what people are willing to pay. Um, what the cost of fuel is for freight costs, that comes in, whether that be by, by what it's costing to run by barge or by rail or by truck, all those factors come into play. As we mentioned earlier, it's also what our local production like was like in an area. So what our amount of relative supply for a given re region is. So, so those are all some of the different factors that come into play, Chad. And, and it sounds like those things are, you know, season to season or year to year. Could you even look bigger than that? Have there been big things or big changes in demand really that has caused basis to move and stay in one area or another? Yeah, there sure is. And, and generally, probably the biggest example of that would be the ethanol industry. Mm -hmm. And when the ethanol came in, what we did is we brought a lot of end-user demand very, very close in many of these local communities to where that supply was. So that did cause big changes. If we want to take a much bigger global look at it, we would say what's what's actually happened in China, where China reached a point where their demand and what they're wanting to have for protein actually exceeded what they had for their feed demand. And so what they then had to do is they had to step out and start importing more bushels. They had to start importing more corn. So then that caused more bushels to have to be shipped. So then that became an impact over on the rail or the barge side. So those are a couple examples for you, Chad. You, you mentioned the ethanol example here in the States, and looking back on it, it almost seemed like it happened overnight. But it did take some time to develop. And, uh, you know, I wonder if the livestock build-out that we're especially seeing in, in Nebraska, if that's going to have a lasting impact on basis. Yeah, it, it sure can. There's another factor that's not getting a lot of talk that has the potential to see a change down the road, and that gets to be the renewable diesel side. Uh -huh. And we, we talk a lot about biodiesel 
diesel, but let's be clear, renewable diesel and biodiesel are two totally different processes. And we're kind of very on the very, very front edge of that renewable diesel side. So the the difference we have there is that uh, that's an industry that we're yet to be determined on how the government's going to be involved in in basically um, funding and helping promote it. But it but it has the potential to impact over on the soybean side, much like what we've seen for changes happening over on the corn side with the ethanol. We know that uh, the futures market has a, a seasonality about it. You know, when it comes planting time, we've talked about weather markets before, uh, harvest time. Is there a seasonality about basis as well, Jeff? Yeah, there is a seasonality to it. And, and really, when we talk about seasonality, we first talk about what exactly does seasonality mean. And really what we're saying is that it's it's a pattern or a, a direction or a trend that we would expect to see at certain times of the year that may repeat themselves from one year to the next. And there definitely are patterns. So let me give you two examples on where we see these patterns set up. At harvest time, because there's a great amount of supply coming in relative to what the demand is, that's generally when we see our widest basis levels, meaning it'd be our lowest if it's on the positive side, or it also, if it's on the negative side, it's just uh, a more negative number Mm -hmm. on the basis side. So that's usually what we see at harvest. The other time where we see a distinct pattern is that usually in and around planting during April and May, many times that will be some of our best basis levels. And the reason for that is that that's at a time when the farmer's busy, there isn't a lot of bushels moving, so there gets to be, even though there's good demand, then there isn't as much supply. So there definitely are patterns that we end up seeing out there that that do repeat themselves year over year. But you want to be careful, though, Chad, that you just don't automatically think, oh, that's what's going to happen every year. You really want to make sure you understand how to read what's going on on the supply and demand to be able to make some forecast and manage that basis. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. And I want to, because we talked about the seasonality of the futures, too. Does the seasonality of basis go hand in hand with the seasonality of futures, or do they operate independently? Yeah, you know, they do operate independently, Chad. And that's part of the reason, as we talk about doing a good job marketing, we do need to make sure that we do focus on managing that basis. Because a lot of times, and, and this is strange to hear, when we see our best futures prices. Or to say it another way, a lot of times when the futures prices ran up, a lot of times the basis may weaken at that time. So that may not be the time when you physically want to set your basis. Now, there are exceptions where you may want to do both of them together. But normally, when you've got the best basis levels, you aren't going to have your your best futures prices. And when you have your the vice versa of that, when you also have some of your lowest futures prices, um, that may be a time when you do have some of your best basis levels. So we just want to be open and aware of that. And and I think it kind of goes back to what you said before, and maybe here a couple of years ago was a good example of that, when the Eastern Corn Belt had just this record, uh, or had difficulty producing a crop, but we in Nebraska, with our irrigation and our resources, we had fairly good crops. So uh, the futures was looking at the overall total, right? Uh, but uh, we had some extra bushels to market here in the in the Western Corn Belt. So 
like you said, they they moved uh, differently, right? Yeah, and they do they move at different times. You're exactly right, Chad. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about the the basis. We understand what it is, how it is figured, um, and, and it can be confusing. So the the ultimate question is, what is the effect to the bottom line? Can we earn pennies or nickels or dimes? Can we make an impact to the bottom line by managing basis? Yeah, you most definitely can. It's the type of thing, if you, if you want to take your marketing to a whole nother level, one of the easiest changes I can make, but you have to be willing to manage it, is to focus on managing that basis. Because if you can do that, there could be, um, in a given year, year over year, you could be looking at 15 or 20 cents um, of of additional profit that you could pick up. But Chad, we've seen other situations where by managing that basis and and not even changing maybe the timing when you set your futures price, you know, you could pick up 50 cents to a dollar more. So there's definitely enough potential margin gain there that that's something you should manage. So, and you said a word there that I think we uh, we should highlight, and that's the potential. And so that means that you do have to manage it, right, Jeff? It's just not going to happen. Yeah, it just isn't going to happen. As, and I'd go so far to say, Chad, is that if you're not willing to manage it, if you're not willing to watch it, if you're not willing to chart it, I would say please don't attempt to use any types of contracts that will manage basis because in the end what could happen is where you thought you could have a potential gain, you actually could end up with a big loss if you don't manage it properly. Okay, so you mentioned charting it. I would imagine that's a technical way of saying keeping track of it. How do we keep track of basis, Jeff? Yeah, the keeping track of it, I mean, gets to be a little confusing um, for some people because there's so many different basis levels. So how I would do it and how we do it is that I would take a look at any of the different locations that I'm going to deliver bushels to. I would say, take, for instance, corn, and then I would go ahead and track all the different delivery periods. So there isn't just one basis. There is a basis level for each individual delivery period or time when you plan on delivering those bushels. And some would say, well, just track it weekly. I like to see, just like what we do in the future side, I like to actually see it track daily. It's really a lot easier now than it's ever been. You can physically just go to the website, then you can take the basis levels for all the different delivery periods off there. And then what you do with them from there really kind of depends on it. You could merely go ahead and put them on a yellow notebook pad and keep track of them. You could put them into Excel, and the best thing would be to be able to put them into Excel, or if you're putting it on that yellow notebook pad, get to a point where you're going to chart each of those individual basis levels, so then you can track and see when we're seeing changes happen in them. The last question to kind of wrap things up here is how do we go about managing basis? What are the tools that once we get a handle on it and once we've charted it and we want to make a decision, what are the tools that we can use to manage it? Yeah, so what we want to do is that we, we come in there and we say, okay, what are our potential contracts? So I'm going to start off in the cash market first. You can physically use existing cash contracts to manage basis. And so we'll, we'll lay it out this way. If you see the basis opportunity come first, and normally if we're pricing bushels, the opportunity of the higher futures price comes first. But let's say you see an opportunity where the best basis levels comes first. Then you utilize what's called a basis contract. 
A basis contract, what that is, is that's a contract you're making with your local grain buyer where you're setting the basis, just locking in that difference between the cash price and the futures price. That could be for bushels that you take out of the field. That could be for bushels you haul out of the bin and you deliver it today. You like that basis, you put it on a basis contract. Or it could be that you're setting back here, clear back in, in May, and you're just planting the crop, and you're looking clear out to next May, and you see a basis you like, and you know you've got bushels in the bin, and you're physically going to haul it down the road, you can set the basis for delivery in the future. And so then when it comes time for that to deliver out there almost a year from when you set it, you deliver those bushels in, and then it's setting in there on a basis contract. There's a couple nice things about using a basis contract if you're going to the buyer once you get there, Chad. You're able to usually get a cash advance on that contract. Most locations will advance you up to 75%, so you can haul bushels in and collect some some revenue, some cash flow. Mm -hmm. The other nice part of it is by hauling those bushels in, putting it on a basis contract, there's also no storage costs, so you still could get a higher futures price and not have to pay anything to be able to do that. So that's if you're focusing on the opportunity of setting the basis first. But let's stay in the cash market, but what if the futures opportunity comes first and, and we just don't like the basis? Then we're going to go back to our old reliable hedge-to-arrive contract, or as some locations call NBEs, or others call it a futures-first contract. And that's a contract where we'll set our futures price first, and then we'll sit back and we'll wait and decide on what our delivery period is. And once we decide on when we deliver those bushels, before we deliver those bushels, then we'll physically come in and we'll set the basis, and then that's when we'll have our cash price. Uh, the thing I failed to mention, though, is over on that basis contract, once you set your basis, what's your next step? At some point, once the markets went up and you physically see the futures price you like, you call the grain buyer, you set the futures price on that basis contract, and then you've got your cash price there. But if you're someone that says, you know what, I don't want to use a cash contract, I don't want to be obligated to that, then you can also use a futures market, and really that's going to operate just like what we did on that hedge to arrive, Chad. Instead of selling your bushels to your local grain buyer and setting the futures price there, you'll sell a contract on the Chicago Board of Trade, you'll get that futures price set, you'll sit back and wait, watch all of your different grain buyers. So the advantage of using that futures contract is you're not locked into delivery to any one particular location. The other advantage there would be the fact that you can negotiate basis because they don't have your bushels, mm -hmm. and you could also bring more bushels to market at one time. So maybe you, in the when you're setting your futures price, maybe you'd normally sell in 10,000 bushel increments, but once you get all the bushels sold, maybe you've got 100,000 bushels, you can bring all 100,000 bushels to them, negotiate a better basis. So not only manage basis, but negotiate an even better basis. And then what you do is you're going to then buy back your futures contract on that day, and you're going to sell the cash bushels to your buyer. And ultimately, that's the way you would manage the basis if you were doing it using the futures contract.
All right, and then one other question, and I thought of uh, what is the time frame that you can uh, that you should manage basis? How soon can you start to manage basis, and and how late? How close to delivery do you manage basis? Yeah, so that's all going to be demand, and that's the skill of it. We've made yeah. this seem really easy, but the skill of it is is ultimately you could be looking out um, a year or more in advance. But normally, what we find is that your your best opportunities are going to be to set your futures price first. And and then watch for the basis. And normally, the closer we get to delivery, you know, within reason, maybe within five to six weeks, usually is where we'll find some of our best basis levels because what you're getting into is a situation where the buyer knows they need to get those bushels bought. Mm-hmm. All right. Jeff, uh, just a wealth of knowledge. Thank you for sitting down with us and uh, shedding some light on this idea of basis. Appreciate it very much. You bet. I've enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Chad. That was Jeff Peterson with Heartland Farm Partners in Lincoln. He is also an assistant professor of practice in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. You're listening to Grain IQ. I'm Chad Moyer. Grain IQ is a production of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association with support from the Nebraska Soybean Board. It is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Grain IQ is hosted by Chad Moyer and produced by Rebel Saklocha. It is written and edited by Alex Wojcicki. Our project manager is Bryce Duskett. You can listen to Grain IQ on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at ruralradionetwork.com.